Hello and welcome to Warwick's Classics in Discussion podcast. The study of classics is the study of the consumption of alcohol. Archaic and classical Greek culture was steeped in spirit. The ancient elite recited lyrical poetry during drinking parties. Large cohorts of Greek citizens celebrated the god of wine by performing tragedies and comedies at annual festivals. The common crowd enjoyed the pleasures of the pub, at least in democratic cities. And the pots produced in their hundreds of thousands with their beautiful paintings illustrate that the Greeks took drinking very seriously indeed. And lest we forget, philosophy also drew on drink. Socrates famously could outdrink them all. Plato celebrated love and lust in his work The Drinking Party, better known as the Symposium. He demonstrates that our desire for beautiful objects and people can lead us to the idea of the pure good. Beauty is truth, truth beauty, that is all ye know on earth and all ye need to know. But how did the Greeks organize their drinking parties? Why did wine play such a central role in classical Greek culture? And is it really true that most of Greek art and literature is intimately connected with alcoholic orgies? With me to discuss the bards and their booze are James Davidson and David Fern of Warwick's Classics Department. So James, there were drinking parties in, um, in ancient Greece and there were a lot of them. What are these drinking parties? What happened at these drinking parties? Uh, One of the reasons why there's so much fuss about uh, the symposium or the drinking party in ancient Greece is that it's the center of a lot of culture, a lot of the culture that we study. Um, and it does seem to have been a formal way of drinking, which is very different from the way that we drink nowadays, or that people so, drink in other societies. So it's, it's a ritual, so there's a drinking party, and this drinking party is a ritual, and so... How do they do it? What happens? Well, first of all, they will have the banquet. They will eat the food, with probably with no wine at all. And they'll be eating with their fingers. Then they need to have their hands washed by slaves, of course. Mm. Then the perfumes are splashed. Um, they are given garlands to wear. The floor with all the debris from the banquet is swept away. And so when you say they, that's, this is a group of men in a, in a big room, that sort of thing? How, how are they lying there? This would normally be um, a group of men, or mostly men, lying on couches in a very small and smoky room. Um, so there's a great sense of intimacy. So they're lying on couches which are arranged around the edge of the room, normally two men to each couch. You can have just three couches in one room, which is Party tiny. Yeah. Or you can have seven or eleven if you want to be very extravagant. Um, and there they are, being having wine served to them. They all drink at the same pace. There is so a mixing it, bowl. Initially, they they start by drinking uh, just the pure wine, and then they dilute it more. Or how does that work? The drinking party itself begins with toasts, with oh. a specific number of toasts to a specific number of divinities, to Zeusote, to heroes. Oh. Um, these are normally unmixed wine. Then the wine is mixed in a great mixing bowl, these beautiful, um, what we call craters. Um, and the banqueters have to decide how much water they're going to put in. 
Um, anything less than 50% water is considered extremely dangerous and intoxicating. Because everybody has to drink, everybody has to drink at the same pace, there's no kind of chickening out of it. Yes, that's the idea, is that you have you choose the size of glasses, you choose how much wine you're going to drink, so that everybody is going on the same journey. Mm. <laughs> yes, and so what do they do while drinking? I mean, I, I take it there's also song. David, is that right? Absolutely. Uh, this, one of the reasons why the symposium is so important in ancient Greek culture is, is that it's the place where people performed poetry. People perform uh, a, a great range of a diverse range of different kinds of of lyric poetry if you think you could, when you say perform they sang it they right? sang it yes they 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 may have uh, at least originally they may have made up songs themselves and performed them but probably what what most often happened were were that individual greeks reperformed the big, the big hits, the, 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 the great classics, the great, the, yeah, the great, Sappho, the great pop records of the day, yes. uh, and and performed uh, various various kinds of, of short poems in a range of different meters with different musical accompaniment. Yeah, so there were two kinds of uh, of songs which were sung. Is that right, James? Uh, yeah, I think it's useful to distinguish between what I call broadcast songs, which are popular, easy. Um, Songs which are sung by the whole group, either in turns, um, taking one line, then another line, or in taking one couplet and then another couplet. And these are accompanied by what we call the flute girl, who plays uh, double pipe, uh, double reeded, uh, double piped instrument. That's called aulos. That's so. called aulos. Um, and this is, so this is a girl that you've hired from the street, probably, mm. who's supposed to be very sexy. Good she, looking. Good looking. Um, Perhaps someone that you might be able to persuade to accompany you home that night. Later on. Later on. <laughs> Not necessarily wearing many clothes. Not necessarily wearing, yes. <laughs> Liable to be groped by the uh, men when they've had too much to drink. So that's the, the these are the, what are called the elegies, easy, the popular yeah. songs. Then there's another kind of song, which is, which I call narrow cast song, which is much more introverted and which talks about me how much I'm suffering, how much I love. And this is normally played by... A, this is normally the kind of song which you would accompany yourself on the lyre. On the lyre. Yeah, that's why it's called lyric. Yeah, and this is the tortoiseshell kind of uh, string. That's instrument. right. They took mm -hmm. an actual tortoiseshell, they um, attached some strings to it, and they would accompany themselves in this very introverted way while the rest of the banqueters listen. So what is the second, the second kind of, uh, of song which is sung there, these lyrical poems? What are they about? What would be typical themes of the typical uh, you know, authors or you know, poets? They're generally about, as James said, they're about me. They're the mm. songs that say I. I feel, mm. I do, mm. I think. I suffer. I, I suffer. I, so I am in love. A lot, of, a lot of these poems about Eros, the god of love, mm. how, how Eros makes me suffer or makes me feel. Mm. Um, they're also about um, my relationships with other people. But the, these... Uh, I, amorous these, relationships. Yes, so. these, these relationships with, with other people, sexual relationships, uh, social relationships, political relationships. But these... these What, what is most interesting when, when these poems say I, when you perform one of these songs, it doesn't necessarily mean that this I is 
is is what you actually are yourself. It's it's a it's a it's almost like a mask. It's something that you put on. It's something that you don in order to play a role. So you could, for instance, become Sappho and talk about how these girls, uh, you know, are gone or absolutely. How you love. So one, Sappho, one of the f most famous uh, Greek poets of all time. Uh, a female, uh, what we might call inverted commas, lesbian poet, uh, was probably transmitted originally before these poems got written down finally by by men, adult males, sitting around in the symposia, lying around in the symposia, singing how they want to kind of project this <laughs> this uh, female sexuality onto their surrounding as something to enjoy and play around with. Yeah, and basically they were quite titillated by the fact that it's girls, right? So that must have had an extra attraction. Yeah, absolutely. And then and then you can get other per other poets of this period playing off against that. So mm. other poets other 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 uh, of these introverted mm. poets like people like Anacreon. Mm. Po the poetry of Anacreon is is very much like this this same kind of thing, a self uh, introverted Introverted stuff, but one of one of Anacreon's most famous po poems is, "I'm this old guy with my white hair, but I'm being rejected by this girl who's looking at somebody else." And the thing Ooh. that she's looking at, at something else is female in the Greeks. So that could be that could be a woman. <laughs> that could be something else. So it's a woman. It's a woman. <laughs> so. so there's a little bit of tension there, and uh, so people uh, genuinely enjoyed uh, these performances, and everybody had to do it. Everybody kind of had to perform some. Thing. It does seem it does seem to be the case. Yes, you have to drink in order. The the wine is goes round the room in a very particular order, um, different orders in different places. Oh. So some go from left to right, oh. some from right to left. So you can see how formal it is. And the same with the songs, you have to sing your song after the person on your left or the person on your right. And even in Plato's Symposium, which oh. is a very different kind of thing oh. altogether, yeah, we'll talk about this in a minute. Yeah, um, the speeches. We have to go from left to right, and yes. the only way you can interrupt that sequence is if you happen to um, have a sneeze. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, it's also quite, quite a competitive thing. You, you take turns, and, oh, you, yeah, and then you try to outdo yeah. the person who's just gone before. You know, yes. Whether you add, add lines to his poem in a witty way, <laughs> or you speak or sing about the subject yeah. in, a, in, a, in a new way that's somehow more kind of entertaining than the guy who's gone before. Well, and obviously as the evening uh, goes on, people probably become uh, more drunk and uh, do uh, other things. I mean, at some stage probably they they no longer sing, is that right? I mean, what happens next? Uh, well, we don't know when, when they stop singing, but <laughs> certainly they get drunk. Um, and yeah. very often they, they talk about the symposium or the, the group of banqueters as if they were fellow voyagers on a ship and gradually the sea gets more and more turbulent Ooh. and they start to get seasick or they start to throw things out of the windows or they start <laughs> to break furniture, they start to grope the flute girl um, they start to do all kinds of bad things and then eventually they will emerge they from the house in yep. what's called a comas, which is like a festival conga They will go to another house, again with a flute girl accompanying them, and try to cause riots there as well. Absolutely, yes. so kind of a, an out-of-control pub crawl, which is <laughs> yes. quite, quite modern as well. Yeah, <laughs> and um, as I understand it, uh, there's uh, one, um, one famous uh, poet, Aristophanes, a uh, comic poet, who kind of pokes fun at these, uh, these drinking parties, does he not? Uh, 
Okay. That's right, and uh, this is this is an interesting question we're bringing in Aristophanes because we move from this kind of aristocratic context of of the sixth century early 5th century which oh. about which we've already just been talking oh. and then we move towards the end of the 5th century oh. um, and we get Aristophanes in public dramatic uh, context in, oh. in the dramatic festivals of Athens oh. uh, talking about the symposium having having his kind of general uh, man on the omnibus kind of oh. everyday guys from Athens from the Athenian countryside talking about, you know, sympotic culture as something that's much more kind of demotic, something that yeah. everybody can participate in. But originally these symposia probably were really for the elite, right? Pretty much, yes. That's yeah. the best the best evidence we have from what we can what we know about the content of the poetry, the trappings that the poetry contains, kind of uh, athletics, sport in general owning horses, all these kinds of leisure time activities, these are really kind of expensive things Mm. to do if you're a guy who works his fields. You're not going to be somebody who works his fields if you're able to spend spend your evenings (laughs) just drinking all the time Mm. in archaic Greece. Mm. But uh, there were also the peasants, uh, the laborers, who would go to bars. They had like bars, they had their own outlet, so to speak, uh, there was drinking culture on a popular level. Is that right, James? Uh, yes, I mean, the, the taverns, what are called capelea, seem to have been extremely ubiquitous, especially, and this is quite interesting, in democratic cities. So it seems that perhaps in, in oligarchic cities that they tried to suppress this kind of activity. So it is, so in Athens especially, we hear of lots of neighborhood taverns where normal people go to drink. Women are, are said to go to drink. Their slaves are said to drink. So a much more promiscuous atmosphere. Mm. But, But even into these drinking taverns, uh, we kind of have the sympotic culture, the elite culture, which enters them. Is that not so? That's re- it's really interesting that when you actually find um, the, the pottery which comes from these taverns, mm. or even from uh, what looks like an inn or brothel called Building Z in the <laughs> Keramikas, They have all the paraphernalia of the symposium. They have their craters, their mixing bowls, their little cups, their Mm. jugs, their wine coolers. Mm. So it does seem as if this um, commercial kind of drinking was imitating the practices of the aristocrats. Right, and that's that's probably the same with the, with the, the poetry of the symposium. Aristophanes quotes this... High, high, high culture, kind of archaic poetry in his own uh, comic dramas for the Athenian democratic populace. So they, they must have known this stuff. They must have got it from somewhere, and it's come down. It's filtered down from this kind of these uh, small elite kind of institutions of the symposium dotted around the archaic Greek world into mainstream democratic culture somehow through the period of. The fifth century, mm. and what's, what's especially interesting is that um, by after 400 BC, um, most of the people who are actually performing these sometimes very complicated lyric poems of the of a much earlier period are going to be trained slave boys, the kithara boys. Mm. So instead of people playing a little lyre, they have a professional who's also very often considered sexually available. Um, on a much grander instrument playing much more complicated notes. So in a way, the, the amateur oh, culture yeah. is taken away 
And there right. are lots of people who complain about this. That they have, you know, yep. our culture has been professionalized. Right. And it's absolutely. not uh, what it used to be. Too many notes. <laughs> too, too many, many notes. Absolutely, too many notes. <laughs> well, obviously, we when we talk about drinking parties, we have to talk about the most famous drinking party, perhaps in history, Plato's uh, Symposium. So Plato wrote a dialogue which is called Drinking Party Symposium, but it doesn't really follow the normal rules of uh, of the symposia or these drinking parties which we've just described. So what's what's that about? How, how does this Platonic dialogue uh, uh, part, work? Uh, part, partly what's at issue with, with Plato is how Plato's reacting against all the stuff we've talked about. Partly he's reacting against the democratic 5th century Athenian take on what a symposium is, all its kind of diversity, but he's also reacting against and being in, a, in, a, in an ongoing tradition of reacting against uh, previous aristocratic versions of the symposium. So, so how, 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 what does he do? How, so, what is this symposium? What is it? How does it work? It's a symposium which uh, is notionally about praising love. Love. It's so... It's all about eros, right? Right. So, in a sense, we can fit that back into what we think aristocratic, archaic symposia are about, if you, if you sing lots of love poetry. But Plato in the symposium doesn't have people singing. He has people giving speeches. And there are various famous Athenians who give speeches, famous literary Athenians, including most, most uh, famously Aristophanes, the, the Greek poet, and also Agathon, the tragedian in whose honour the banquet is being held after he's won his first uh, victory in the dramatic festivals. And this is the Athens. occasion, right, Dave, uh, James? Uh, the occasion for the drinking party in Plato. Right. Plato is very specific that this is the first, Agathon's first victory, which we know was in um, late winter, say February or January in 416 BC. And that yeah. is very significant because two of the guests... Uh, belong to a group we know as the Herm Bashers, and we know that the following <laughs> year they were exiled. Yeah. So Plato's so what chosen are Herms again? Um... Um, these are people who, after a certain amount of drunkenness, perhaps, <laughs> went round and were accused of going round and vandalizing the statues of Hermes, which are like a pillar with an erection, and apparently they went and chopped his beard off <laughs> and cut around his face. Um, so Plato is playing a lot of games. It's a very, very playful, complicated, ironic um, and, kind of text. And there were tensions, for instance, between the tragedian Agathon and the comedian Aristophanes. There were all sorts of uh, <coughs> yep. issues, so to speak, uh, there. They take, yes, absolutely. They give their own individual takes on, on, uh, on, on what love is. Aristophanes gives this extraordinary speech about... Uh, in, where he invents this myth about uh, humanity is this thing that's split down the middle in two halves originally. So we were like kind of little four, round balls absolutely. with uh, four and legs, four across, hands. Depending on your sexual orientation, <laughs> you, you're, you're quite, what love is as an experience is your, is qu as, as a quest to be reunited into the perfect sphere. Yes. Uh, so he, yes, reunited with your other half. <laughs> and this is one of the earliest examples where the whole of humanity, according to Aristophanes' mm. myth, can be divided up into male homosexuals, female homosexuals, and heterosexuals, who have come from an original hermaphrodite object, which was split down the middle, and therefore the male half of the hermaphrodite is looking for the female half of the hermaphrodite. Yes. 
Wonderful, wonderful story. But there are others. I mean, there's the physician, you know, like, and who gives a speech which is, you know, full of medical vocabulary. It's all very learned. And uh, basically, Plato pokes fun at these people on very different levels. It's, it's a complicated story with different narrations. But towards the end, obviously, we have Socrates also coming to the fore. And he kind of turns it around a bit, does he not? And he talks about love, but he gives, uh, he tells us a different story of what love can be. What is that story? He, he moves partly in response to um, uh, Alcibiades, Socrates, one of Socrates' protégés who mm. turns up in an extremely drunken fashion towards the end of this dialogue. Mm. Um, he well, talks protégé, about... Toy boy protégé, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, he, he Socrates changes, radically changes the orientation of the discussion by saying, well, actually, what we're going to do is, is talk about talk about arrows, talk about love in this new way, which means moving away from uh, particulars into a quest for something else, a quest for more for greater generalities and more more abstraction on, on, the, the, particular, on, on the particulars of everyday so basically, life into, yeah, into, into metaphysical realms. So basically uh, Socrates says we start out with this love, let's say, for a beautiful boy or a beautiful girl, beautiful objects, and that is in a way important, but as we go along, we realize that there's really something called the beautiful. And the beautiful, that's obviously the idea. All these beautiful things we see, see here, they're not really, they don't matter. They're shadows, they're figments of our imagination, they're shadows of the ideas. What really matters is to kalon, the beautiful, which is also the good, and love kind of brings us to this uh, to this idea, and that's yeah. uh, that becomes central. But it still turns uh, turns around uh, love. People people uh, with some Plato symposium also often forget that it's still about drinking. However, it's it's not some, what doesn't happen in the symposium is Socrates Socrates shifts away the focus from all of this entertain all of these entertaining speeches to end up talking about philosophy, mm. because the way the the way the dialogue ends is with Socrates carrying on drinking in the room and actually out drinking everybody this, else. Everybody else. So, so he, Socrates is also famous not only for his philosophy but his incredible. Stamina is that absolutely, not so? His, in, his incredible <laughs> drinking stamina, <laughs> absolutely. Drinking stamina or standing around not moving stamina in all sorts of ways. He was a really, really special guy. But it brings us back. <laughs> it brings us back to an important point. This is about drinking, and drinking was really central, James, in Greek culture. So it seems we see drinking all over the place. Is that not so? It is remarkable that when, when we look at the kinds of things we study, uh, students of Greek culture and society, so many of them are connected with alcohol. We have the festivals of Dionysus, the god of wine, which produced all the comedies and tragedies. We have all this poetry from the drinking party. We have all these vases, um, hundreds of thousands of them, or at least a hundred thousand of these images, which show people drinking, and are, which are basically drinking cups. So... The study of the classics is the study of uh, the consumption of alcohol, in a way. To a large extent. <laughs> to a large extent. Well, on that note, I thank you very much, uh, James Davidson and uh, David Fern, for this very enlightening talk. And cheers. Cheers.